0: When I work with people who teach social justice and I hear that they want to uh, tell the six-year-olds everything about everything that's happening in the country right now, you might want to mitigate that. Like, what are the things that these, this group of six-year-olds can handle and feel empowered by? We're not expecting our six-year-olds and our seven-year-olds to solve all the problems of the world. We're expecting them to learn both the skills to communicate about who they are and to communicate with people around them and have the expectation that everyone that they can reach has as much access as they have, right? So we're not asking them to do everything all the time, but we are asking them to be in conversation and and be in awareness and to notice, right? Like we share snack and we ask the kids to notice if they've had five pieces and everyone else has only had one right? And we don't shame the kids, but we ask them to notice, right? Oh, are you feeling very hungry today? I'm noticing that you you have five pieces and -and so-and-so has one piece. Will you check in with them?
1: Welcome to the Wash Your Mouth Out podcast. Power, pleasure, and parenting. We are stigma-smashing feminist parents creating a new narrative. Put in your earbuds. This is for you only. This is the place to be entertained, empowered, inspired, and feel seen while you're raising small humans.
2: This episode is brought to you by EarlyToBed.com with the number 2 in there. Early to Bed is a feminist, sex-positive sex shop and you may just want to go to the website and do a little shopping while you're listening to this podcast because you have got 10% off all of the goodies of your dreams with our coupon code, all caps, S-O-A-P-19 at early dot com. Ira Armstrong and Kara Kelsey of Peace Out Loud provide maker and arts education as a vehicle for child development, individual expression, community building, peace training, and changing the world from their hub in Berkeley, California. As educators, they are committed to creating the conditions for all children to comfortably grow into being their full selves. The team is black, brown, queer, trans, and poor people with a passion for care, social justice, and playfulness. They strive to create a world liberated from oppression in all its shapes. They welcome children of queer and trans parents, children of sex workers, children of all gender expressions, abilities on a sliding scale. Executive Director Kara Kelsey, they, them pronouns, is a somatic practitioner with over 15 years in recovery-based models of community building and restorative justice. They also have been teaching consent-based models and workshops for over 10 years. Founder Ira X. Armstrong, formerly known as Nancy Armstrong Temple, they, them pronouns, is a frontline Blacktivist and social permaculture specialist who grew up in a culture of transformative justice before the field was even named. They have been teaching nonviolent direct action through the arts for over 30 years and freedom-based economic self-determination and consent-based community care since 2008.
1: Welcome Kara and Ira.
3: Thank you.
1: you. (laughs) Welcome. I'm so excited to be in this conversation and and to just have both of you here with us. And I love you both so much. So how how exciting that we all get to have this conversation.
0: It is really exciting. We're really glad to be here. Yeah, I'm
4: excited. I love you too.
1: I was wondering if you can um, just tell us a little bit about the origin of Peace Out Loud and how you were inspired to really create this organization and why you think it's so important for us to discuss social justice with our children.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, you know, uh, Adrian Marie Brown and the Combahee River Collective talk a lot about emergent strategy. Mm. And uh, I would like to say that Peace Out Loud was created with a lot of intention mm-hmm. and love. And it was, but it w- was also created by accident, as many good things are. Um, I was teaching dance, music, and theater, um, and I had contracts with various schools and after-school programs. And my housemate's child wanted a class at her after-school program, so I decided to set one up there. I did all of the normal things that I do, and I went there to uh, to set it up and there were a group of kids who could afford to do the class. And then there was another group of kids who couldn't afford to do the class who were all um, literally standing in the door and peeking through the window because they wanted to join. Um, And in that moment, I knew that that wasn't gonna be the story of the dance that I taught and of the music and theater that I taught. Um, And so I invited the kids in and Peace Out Loud was begun in that moment. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but that has been the model from the beginning, um, is to make sure that all the kids that we can reach are getting this education, regardless of their ability to pay. Um, because what we're doing is life-changing and world-changing, and you shouldn't have to have economic means to have access to art and music and theater. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) so i know that you know there's kind of two facets to doing a program um that's about social justice and one facet is just what you were saying which is who gets included that might not otherwise be included and another facet i think must be uh the interpersonal communication between children and other children and the caregivers and teachers and children around uh, language and social justice issues when you're all together. Um, So I was wondering, just to get into the nitty gritty of what it might be like in your space and and in your activities, what is one of the most challenging interpersonal situations that has come up in groups of kids when you're working with them from a social justice perspective and how you might have addressed this challenge?
0: So I want to say um, one of the things that we did uh, in 2013, I believe, is when we started our summer camp and um we started the summer camp we we had done sort of a couple of weeks here and there and we started the summer camp so the kids could have a really immersive experience for the whole summer but also so that parents could have affordable childcare in our neighborhood Um, and we really wanted the kids to be outside um and i think that one of the dynamics of that is that you know, we are social creatures and we are outdoor pe- people who exist in nature. And when you lock children inside most of the time, you know, the, the, the kindergarten in our area um, is, they have two 15-minute breaks a day to play outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually creating a structure that leads to more conflict than is necessary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what we do is sort of the decompression of open spaces. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And what? I was gonna say, being in a public open space um, also has natural room for interactions with our community and the people um, that are also sharing the space with us, you know? So I think it's important for, um, my kids and other kids, you know, to, um, be able to, um, how do I, what's the word? Um,
0: not be isolated from the world.
4: Yeah. And I think, you know, like, um, in, in San Francisco, especially in public parks, there's a lot of people without homes, you know, and we get to be in the same space and share the same space and be mindful, um, of the friends and the community and the people around us that may not have homes and like how to have those conversations with kids. Um, like in terms of, I guess I'm being kind of big, but in terms of like, um, child language, checking our biases, you know? Yeah, Yeah, and a lot
0: of it is about setting the container in the first place. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: So
0: we start with um, information, right? Like we say in our space, you know, and we let the kids know, it might not be the same for you in your family or in your school or in some of the neighborhood, but in this space, this is a place where all bodies are good bodies where you are who you say you are. We use the pronouns and names that you choose, whatever those are. Um, And so we set it up so the kids have more of a chance to really opt in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the most challenging things for me is actually um, in, we start with consent from the very beginning, right? Like even with my my own children, um, I have 12 year old twins, but when they were babies, we learned sign language right away, and i would I would sign to them that I was going to change their diaper
3: right mm, because yes. um,
0: they get to opt in to that, and you know it feels really good to have a clean diaper on when you 're little <laughs> you know, and so they got sort of that experience, and they also got like if they indicated no by the time they were six months old, if they indicated no, I would say "I think it 's time, but if you 're not ready, we can do it in a little while. Let me know when you 're ready right um, and so I think that most adults don't learn that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so one of the most challenging things for me is actually um, when adults expect the children to, um, to be in line whatever in, with whatever adult system they have. Mm-hmm. And then the kid doesn't want to do that for whatever combination of reasons. Um, and sort of navigating that. And you know, even in dance classes and in music classes to remind parents like if your child wants to participate, they will. I promise you they will, but please don't move their body.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And so to really get the parents to opt in um, and help to create that container, I think is one of my biggest challenges. Do you have a
4: um no, I think that's very true. I think um I tend to I think relate to children. <laughs> um I wouldn't say better, I wouldn't use better, but like, um, more than adults in the sense of like, what I've found with working with kids are kids are so flexible, you know, and kids know their truth already, you know, and like know how to be in the world already. Um... And like, don't even really need permission, you know? Like, it's just like a little bit of guidance. Whereas adults have learned like social structures and systems Um, and that's myself included, you know? And parenting has definitely been a practice of like, um, oh, am I stopping on the sidewalk to smell the flowers with my child, you know? Um, Or am I, um, how do I feel when my relative or family um questions my practice of not letting my child hug them because they said no you know and um and really looking at like yeah what i what i believe like Mm. in terms of um where how much i've fallen in line to right that internalized (laughs) depression (laughs) yes yes and like um, oh,
0: Karen's doing the real talk. But that's the biggest challenge is like <laughs> yeah. me and me.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, um, this kid's showing me how to be free. This kid is showing me, you know, like how to get free. And, and, um, so, so parenting and working with children as an extension of that has, has almost been an unlearning process for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I really resonate in regards to especially the consent aspect. I, I find it so mind-blowing that a child having agency over their own body is still so radical. Like the fact that that is radical in any setting um, and that constantly we see children's bodies being moved around and shuffled around Um, before they're ready or without even a a verbal acknowledgement Um, and it was very challenging for for me to watch or witness even.
4: Definitely and I think um, I also kind of follow the practice before before I got into um, working with kids before I had Aubrey I was uh, very much working in with harm reduction, um, harm reduction through sex education and um, dealing with drug addiction. Um, And I think something that I take with me in not just those areas that have learned and tried to take with me through everything I practice is uh, the idea of meeting people where they're at without judgment mm-hmm. um, and back to what Ira was saying about working with parents or working mm-hmm. with other grown-ups or other adults um, that have different ideas than we do that have right. different um, philosophies, different ways of parenting, different ways of moving through the world for a number of reasons. Um, really being able to like hear where they're at and hear what they're saying and respect that, and like, negotiate, is that the word? I would say,
0: negotiate and navigate, because, you know, we we work with a lot of parents um, who don't have the benefit of consent education.
4: Right. In
0: fact, have been educated out of consent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that It's funny to me, actually, Kara, that you and I have that same background in harm reduction Mm -hmm. and consent in sex practices. You know, I grew up with sexual education that was consent-based, which is apparently unheard of Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) in most of the world, right, from my generation. I was born in 1975, and I was raised in a community of people that had a consent-based sexuality teaching, and um, I just find... I I didn't know that that was so unusual and now I find it fascinating that people just don't know that it's okay to own your own body
3: Mm -hmm.
0: right Mm -hmm. and that it's okay Mm -hmm. for other people to own their own bodies and like how you negotiate what you do in the world comes from that place of like really feeling agency not from feeling obligation or guilt or any of those things right and I I also think about like how we work with a lot of poor parents Um, and so it's so important in the conversation about consent to be looking at, uh, to be using an an intersectional lens Mm
3: -hmm. and to
0: be thinking about like, what are the impacts of white supremacy? What are the impacts of capitalism? What are the impacts of these sort of broader systems that we're all in Mm -hmm. together and the ways that we react and respond to that are really just ways of coping and surviving. And so... Even when I'm really sad or impacted by the way that someone interacts with their kids, I really try to remember that we're all responding to these sort of big, bigger systems of oppression, Mm -hmm. and that none of us is um, to blame for those systems, Um, or at least uh, 99% of us, at least, (laughs) are to blame. Um, and to really navigate that and, and put that in context is a way to have a really sort of um, you know, Thich Not Han talks about the and Buddhism talks about the loving kindness, right? That we are present with people in whatever suffering we're in or they're in, and that our part of our job is to transform that suffering into joy without mm-hmm. Uh, pathologizing the suffering as unnecessary or wrong or bad or whatever struggle you're in as um, you being the one who's doing something wrong, but really like, how can I meet you in this? And how can I listen to you deeply enough to really help you to get to the place where I know that that suffering will be relieved? Mm
2: -hmm. Uh This, this reminds me just a little bit of, I had a, um, when I was a preschool director, I had a, a workshop on gentle discipline where we talked a lot about consent and um, and I had a, a mom who said that she was really feeling torn because her child really um, had expressed you know not wanting to hug some of her family members um, uh, you know during social holiday times and she was really torn culturally because it was a big part of her latinx culture to just that you just have to do that Mm -hmm. and that it was going to be you know that she was going to be shamed um and made fun of and uh so just that these things are so intricate and um complicated sometimes for folks culturally you know
0: yeah, and I think that's true for everyone, right? Like part of whiteness is that whiteness erases culture as if you like don't have any background where it's just the <laughs> neutral. And, and we know that that's not true, right? Everyone has cultural norms and learning that they that they enact. And so if we come from that assumption that everyone has things that they're sort of wrestling with, whatever that means, then it's not, um, then, then it becomes about like sort of teasing apart what is quote unquote culture and what is abuse, Mm -hmm. right? And every culture also has um, patriarchy and adult supremacy and Mm -hmm. um, rape culture. And right, there's all of these things that are sort of interwoven with culture. And so it's really important for each of us to do the work of, especially if you're going to be leading this um, conversation Mm -hmm. in any way, to be doing that work of sort of, sort of, Teasing apart and separating as it comes up, like what Kara was talking about with, like, uh, their own ways of being, um, having that internalized oppression, Mm -hmm. right? Like, whatever that looks like, to sort of, as it comes up in your own life, to sort of uh, investigate it and see, like, is this about my culture? Is this about my beliefs? Is this about who I am? Or is this about something that I learned that may not serve me? Mm -hmm or it may not have ever served anyone in my culture, but we just kept going because it was the only thing that we knew. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
0: And I think that 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 deep investigation when we do that is actually um, unpacking white supremacy and colonialism in general, and specifically about like understanding the ways that our participation in the culture that we're in and in the culture that we come from and the way that those just to pose juxtaposed to create pockets where we protect abuse because we don't want to perpetuate other kinds of abuse. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been, um, an important, I think probably the most valuable part for me of being in this work with Ira, um, is, um, creating a container and a space where we're both committed to doing the internal work on ourselves. Not, not trying to be perfect, you know, not trying to, um, yeah, be perfect by any means, but like committed to investigating ourselves and our biases and where we come from and what that looks like and what is serving us in our community and what is not serving ourselves or our community. Um, and I'm a firm believer of like kids, learning by observation you know Mm -hmm. and I think that um that's been a huge vehicle for me in terms of growth and change Mm -hmm. is that I know my child and I know their friends um and the children that I um am in community with are watching me and are are watching my my interactions and are watching my conversations and are learning um so I mean I'm I'm not always, but really trying to um, be integrity with myself and take take an inventory and and, um, and learn from all of my interactions. I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs>
1: so these are are big heavy, complex topics that we're, we're really delving into and that, that we're doing all this internal work as parents. And um, I know from some parents, you'll hear that there's anxiety surrounding the idea of introducing um, topics surrounding social justice to children and that um, childhood should be this Blissful bubble of ignorance. Um, can we talk about who those parents are. Who is <laughs> <their> parents? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of privilege in, in, in even assuming that that bubble can exist <laughs> for individuals. Uh, so, for these individuals, though, um, because I know I've definitely heard from them. Um, how do, you, how do you meet them where they are? And how do you break down these complex topics for your kids um, in a way that meets them where they are in an age-appropriate way?
0: think One of the things is to name immediately who we are and what our positionality is
3: mm-hmm. and
0: ask other people to do the same. And that can be really, really uncomfortable for various reasons. Um, if you come from a place where you 've never done that before, that's going to be really uncomfortable. If you come from a place where that was discouraged, it's going to be really uncomfortable and what part of consent building consent is about understanding the difference between um, discomfort and pain and um, if you're uncomfortable, is it because you don't want to know that you're causing pain or is it because something is happening to you that you don't like? And those are different. And it's a really, really important difference um, that we work with, with parents, but also with kids who have privilege, right? Like I have a lot of kids who start off in our programming who who have never been held accountable when they hurt someone,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so part of the invitation is to really invite everyone to understand that when they hurt someone, when they act out of integrity, when they act out of consent, what they're doing is creating a relationship that isn't any more based on both person's agency,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm-hmm. And so so when you start there, and, and the way that we, we do use those words with the kids, the kids mostly, Um, are on board with that, but we also say things like, you know, I'm noticing that your body touched their body, and I'm wondering if you can see how their body reacted when it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, we try not not to be very reactive, Kara and I, we try to do things like get enough sleep and drink enough water (laughs) and eat enough food so that we are, right? Try, try, try. And to be mindful so that we are more able to hold the container, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know as parents and as people working in the world and as people who are impacted in various ways uh, um, with race and transness and perception Mm -hmm. and uh, busyness of the world that we're in, that it's really easy to get into a cycle where we're sort of abusing ourselves and then we don't have space for, uh, for other people to to hold the conversation for other people right so there's that part so we try to come ready Mm -hmm. so that we can hold the container and then the next part is like really holding it right really saying like i when when the kids come for instance and say like oh so-and-so pushed me a lot of people when they hear that are going to react with uh anger or frustration or telling the kid to stop doing it and usually our reaction is more like oh is that a game that you want to play? Mm-hmm. Were you on the swing, for instance,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? Like, is this something you want? Are you playing a pushing game right now? Or are you telling me that you don't want to play a pushing game? And often the kids are just giving us information, right? Mm-hmm. They're just inviting us into their play. And sometimes they're asking for help. And if they're asking for help, mm-hmm. then we can say to the, to the child who they're asking for help with, um, I'm, I'm wondering if you heard your friend mm-hmm. when they said they don't wanna play that game anymore. Right? And so framing it in like, this is like, all of us have games that we want to play. There are no bad games. Mm -hmm. um, If everyone comes out intact, Mm -hmm. (laughs) emotionally, physically, um, mentally intact. And so if you are playing a game that hurts someone, it is your job to stop playing. And that's part of the container that we set. And it's also part of the conversation that we have as it emerges. Is mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Does
4: can it, I speak answer to the you? question? I, yes. <laughs> yes. To. My experience and how I walk through the world and my perception is, is all I have. Right. And that can be corrected and talked about um, through conversations. So I am learning a lot about this and having a lot of these conversations at my kid's school right now. I feel like before um, my child entered school, I chose Ira, (laughs) and I had um, more control over the community that surrounded my children, right? Um, Public school, I don't have as much control of that. There's a bunch of different kids from a bunch of different places and a bunch of different parents um, with different levels of privilege and ideas. And
0: different levels of agreement. Yes. They don't have the same agreements in place. Kara and I are really gifted to have this agreement in place.
4: Thank you. A lot of the parents, so my child goes to a civil rights academy that has fallen out of the practice of being a civil rights academy and is currently in the last like four years, I would say maybe less, um, really working hard to like live up to that name and um, make sure that our kids are learning about what's happening in the world around them. The teachers are doing a lot of work um, examining bias with somebody and we've come in and we've done work there but a lot of the parents have that question for me you know is like I really want to protect my child right like I feel like talking to my child about this um, is going to hurt them or the world the world is too big for them to process right now you know Um, and that is a challenging question. And I wrestle with that actually a lot to be honest, you know? Um, I think I always start with myself, you know, and like examining what privileges I have and I carry and like what also my child has to deal with in the world around them that other children don't, um being a queer child with queer parents and trans parents or grown-ups, it's a given. It's a given that they are going to need information that children of cis heterosexual families may have the luxury of not giving their children, have the luxury of not giving their children because my child, Like those are things that I need to teach them to not only survive, but thrive, you know, in a world that doesn't necessarily want that right now, you know. And so I think about that. And then I think about the intersections of that Um, and what other children might be dealing with that my children and my child my children all of my children um don't have to deal with right um and the empathy goes from there for me mm-hmm. you know and, um for me you know like if my child is walking through the world with things that other kids don't have access to i need to make sure that i am working towards giving those other kids access and like leveraging mm. leveraging my privilege and outing myself where it's safe, you know, and just making space for everyone, right? And once again, like, I don't think I strive for per per perfection knowing that I will not be perfect. And I think parents really get that when we break it down or when I'm talking about my experience, you know, I think parents start to see that like, oh, there are kids that like have to worry about physical safety, you know, before emotional safety in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, yikes, I need to be in this conversation. I think it becomes much more urgent when we're talking
0: Right, when there's relationship and care. And I also want to say, on the other side of this, um, I have been in partnership before with social justice um, teachers who I think present social, like, information about the world in ways that do not contribute to creating an environment where kids feel empowered by that information. And so that's part of what we're always looking at. Um, You know, my field is educational anthropology and I study brain development in the first six years of life and how culture impacts the brain, right? So this is what I spend all the time that I'm not cooking or cleaning or taking my kids (laughs) to a million things. I pretty much spend all of my time thinking about brain development and consent, right? Like, so. so this is an expertise that that Kara and I carry in the world that not everyone has access to. And so I try to remember that also, Mm -hmm. right? And like part of what we're doing is trying to to leverage that access for our communities who don't have that information, Mm -hmm. right? So when I work with people who teach social justice and I hear that they're like, they wanna uh, tell the six year olds everything about everything that's happening in the country right now, I might want to say like, we might want to mitigate that like what are the things that these this group of six-year-olds can handle and feel empowered by right. and one of the things that i loved um last year there was sort of a a thing at um the academy where carrie's child is mm-hmm. um, having to do with like a lot of uh lack of understanding around people's own bias mm-hmm. and the ways that Uh, They were participating around race. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not expecting our six-year-olds and our seven-year-olds to solve all the problems of the world. We're expecting them to learn both the skills to communicate about who they are and to communicate with people around them and have the expectation that everyone that they can reach has as much access as they have, Mm -hmm. right? So we're not asking them to do everything all the time, but we are asking them to be in conversation and and be in awareness and to notice, right? Like we share snack. Mm And we ask the kids to notice if they've had five pieces and Mm
3: -hmm. everyone
0: else has only had one piece. Right. And we don't shame the kids, Mm -hmm. but we ask them to notice, right. Oh, are you feeling very hungry today? I'm noticing that you, you have five pieces and -and so-and-so has one piece. Will you check in with them? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're hungry too, but they don't know that they can take five pieces. Mm -hmm. Right. Or whatever that looks like in the moment, a lot of emergent curriculum, a lot Mm -hmm. of really being present and noticing. Um, Do you want to talk about the, the buttons?
4: Um, we do a lot, of, a lot of button making at Peace Out Loud and um, now at Herbie Mountain. And a lot of making
0: in general, right? Yes. like to really give the kids the hands-on experience of um, uh, having the capacity and the expertise to do things and complete projects yeah. and having that live in their bodies.
4: Yeah, totally. Um, so I don't remember a lot about the buttons. What do you talk about the buttons?
0: The Black Lives Matter buttons? Yeah,
4: so when it, yeah last year that was last year Mm -hmm. so my kid was in first grade um and it was black history month and our the first grade teacher wanted the kids to experience like a call to action and um learn how to um, make something and distribute it throughout the school they They wrote signs. They had like um, a mini march around the school. And we just, we talked about, we talked a lot about like celebrating Black resilience. And I thought that was um, a great way to talk about making buttons with the kids and how they could make, they could make something and change people's minds or they could make something and let somebody know something they may not know before. Um, I think that's one of the powerful tools about making. I don't know if kids always have the idea (laughs) that they can change the world, but I think when a kid like starts to feel like they can change the world, like watching these kids, you know, like, learn this information. You know, we talked about it in a way of like a party, you know, <laughs> like, um, like, yeah. And for all... people who can't see
0: us, right? Because we're, we're just recording vocally. Oh, right? Yeah. I, I, Ira is a black activist, mm-hmm. and Kara is uh, a white ally or white presenting
4: yeah. ally. Did we say yeah. white presenting still? I say, like, white queer from a Mexican family. Yeah. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, because we, we don't use male presenting or female presenting yeah. I'm just wondering we're still like white presenting. Uh, yeah, the thing. yeah. I mean, I guess some Mexican.
4: My family's Mexican.
0: It, it makes a difference how you present.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: If you are saying in in the body that you're in, Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. you're giving everyone the idea that it's not just about Black people celebrating Black people, right? Mm -hmm, Like, it really is about a type of conversation and repairing Mm -hmm. of a relationship breach.
4: Yeah, yes, yes. And the way that the language was used, I think for the kids, you know, was like, there was a big party for a long time. that black people weren't invited to, that a whole bunch of white people were throwing. And in fact, and black
0: people were uh, made to hold the party on their backs.
4: That part, <laughs> that part. Um, and, and then we talked about like, but the resilience and the resistance, you know, and how black people have fought, they shouldn't have need, needed to fight. That part. Right? But they fought to be invited to the party, you know, and now we talked about how black power really matters.
2: Yes. Yes.
4: yes. Black lives, not just, but how black power really matters and like celebrating.
2: Yes. I love that because Madison was just saying that, and I'm just going to call it out right here the folks who think that they can protect their children from all of these, um, Conversations about social justice are the are the white parents and uh, and she's you know Madison was suggesting that the the fear is that it will cause anxiety in children and uh, and there's something to that because we all have anxiety living in the world that we live in uh, once we know what world we are living in. But you know you can absolutely talk to children about everything that's going on, you know, with enough forethought, you can talk about, you know, we always say like, talk about the helpers, talk about the people who um, have made change, where where has change been made and who has done it and how can we be like them and, um, and all of that. But for me as a white parent, um, it's definitely extremely important for me to, um, to let go of some of that fear of my child having anxiety, even though some of the conversations we have had, um, to some extent, have created a little bit of anxiety, and there have been people in my life who um, have felt like you know me having even a, a a basic conversation with my child about something like families at the border uh, was is probably you know too much for children. But the way that I've talked about it has been these are the organizations that are making the difference by doing X, Y, and Z. And also, these are the ways that we can help. This is what yeah. we can do, um, which I think speaks to kind of what you were saying about, um, you know, just power. thinking about like power, yeah. you know, um, that where where is this like positive power? Um, yeah. And how can we give people power? And how can we use the power of privilege as well to help empower other folks.
0: Yeah, I think it's important for all of us to use whatever access and privilege that we have. And I think also you're speaking to something right now, Maria, that is so important to think about, like the deep grief. Um, and one of the things about white supremacy and patriarchy is that they encourage all of us to not feel our feelings. And Mm. part of recovering from the the legacy of white supremacy and of breaking through patriarchy and rape culture is really feeling that grief as adults. And when children are hurt, right? Like I think about babies, like babies cry until they're done until the pain is gone, or the need is met. And unless they learn that crying doesn't meet the need, they know to cry until that need is met. And so I feel like so many adults need to learn that skill again mm-hmm. so that they can support their kids when their kid says, I'm really scared, right? Like if, if, you're, if you're talking to your kid about what's happening at the border, and you're child wakes up in the middle of the night and has a nightmare and says, I'm really scared. Then the response is not, Oh my God, I'm never going to tell my kids mm-hmm. about what's happening in the world. Right. And response is, yes. It is really scary. Mm-hmm. It is really scary for kids to be taken from their parents. And I promise you, you and I are going to do everything that we can to make sure that doesn't happen to our family or we're going to make sure that doesn't happen to any other families mm-hmm. and the families who are impacted by it. We're going to be there with them in it. Right. That it's not just about like, intellectually saying and learning about these things, but about really feeling it in your heart. Like it hurts me when I know that kids can't be with their parents for whatever reason. And to tell my kids that Mm -hmm. and to say like, these are the things that we're gonna do. And when we can't do anything about it, we're gonna comfort each other and we're gonna be in this sadness together until we've grieved it and can go and do more things again.
2: Mm -hmm. Sounds exactly like the actual nightmare and the actual thing I said. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I know so many of us who are willing to have that conversation or having those tears and those conversations. <sighs> well, I really quickly want to touch on another party. Um, your website acknowledges that the, the, your program operates on stolen native land, Ohlone land would be there. Uh, I'm assuming that this is something that comes up when you're speaking with the children in your program. I'm wondering how you tackle it with your youth, um, what their feelings are, what comes up. And this recording is happening just pre-Thanksgiving, and the episode comes out after Thanksgiving, but since it comes up every year, um, how, I'm just wondering how you and your practice of social justice with children, talk about this holiday, especially maybe even in a group where one child might have a parent like me who won't celebrate it and calls it a day of genocide. And another friend of theirs in the group maybe has a parent who hosts the turkey dinner. So I'm, you know, and it's, it's real, it's getting really tricky when I talk with my friends, who are really big into celebrating Thanksgiving dinner and it's just like boggling my mind. And I'm just wondering about
0: that. Yeah, what do you do, Kara?
4: We don't celebrate thanks taking. Thanks Yeah, that's what we do. Um, we did a whole thing last summer with Poor Magazine. Um, that was really, really awesome um do you want to talk about that a little bit
0: i think i would like to give a little bit of background and i we can awesome. also send you a link to the poor magazine and to, to the shimmy land tax and um awesome. sagariate um land trust and um the things that are happening with uh reclaiming stolen land tours and um the things that are being done by people who um who are alive and well still, right? Ohlone people and allies and accomplices who are alive and well in this day, in this time. Um, I'm a member of a group of people, um, in the front line of the Black Lives Matter movement who, uh, did a a treaty of sorts and a, a love letter, um, the Black Lives Matter movement wrote a love letter to the Olone people, and they wrote it back to us and invite us invited us to be here um, in service and protection of the land. And mm. so, there's a deep relationship there, um, and a you know there there's a sort of a an interesting way that uh, Black people are invited to participate in colonialism by taking the land. Um, as they're due, as their reparations do, <laughs> and I would just want to be really, really mindful that um, that's not the same thing, right? Like, and and we have been invited, and I also have Native uh, background, but um, but to go places where where we are invited and to have conversations about that and have deep conversations about what it means to be from a, stolen from a land and deposited in a land that's not your own, and how to be. Um, how to have uh, self determination in that and right and so that's an ongoing conversation I think and I come from a family that celebrates Thanksgiving every year mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's mostly working class and
1: mm-hmm. it's the
0: only one of the only days a year that everyone has off Oof. of work mm-hmm. and so we take it as a time to be together mm-hmm. and it it's like us it's a stolen day right, from capitalism, where we take the time to eat together and love on one another and heal each other between um, times when we can do that, right, when all of my extended family can sort of come together and do that. And um, And then we also, you know, I usually do a sunrise ceremony if I can get to it, or I do my own ritual at home to really acknowledge that so many people have been killed, so that capitalism and slave slavery white supremacy could exist in this land and that it still exists. And mm-hmm. to really name that and to name myself as someone who is, um, working to not be complicit in that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, so both of those things live yes. for for me and my family and some of the things that we do, you know, we pay the shumi lamb tax, S H U U M I. I, I implore everyone who lives on a lonely land to pay, something right even if you don't have a lot of money if you can pay a few dollars a year it makes a big difference and it says like i acknowledge Mm -hmm. that the ohlone are still here and that they still are stewards of this land right the land does not belong to us we belong to the land and how do we navigate that um in a world in the world that we're still in Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. so we're having those conversations with our kids and with our families and my perception is that the work needs to be the work in any area needs to be led by the people who are most impacted by that work. And so poor people like poor magazine and Sagariate land trust, they're leading in our area at least, and also um, through relationships with other tribes and other areas mm-hmm. leading a lot of the movement toward really talking about what it means to have reparations for native native americans on this land Mm -hmm. and so i follow their lead right just like in issues of blacktivism um i lead and i also follow other black leaders Mm -hmm. and i expect to to have a voice in that um i follow people who are having the voice in that and i follow poor magazine and shimmy land trust
2: Mm. you know i just want to be really clear with folks that when we talk about paying taxes for being on native land you can find that just about everywhere now so wherever you are find out whose land you're on and see where you can pay into those taxes thank you you know for here and i'm in seattle so we're in duwamish land and you can pay into duwamish land tax
4: for me as a white person and a mexican person whose roots go back to spanish you know um it's like the idea of colonization and how not to be a colonizer in the world today, right? And like, what does that look like? And whose voices am I centering? Who am I following? Who am I listening to? Um, Am I being aware of how much space I take up in certain places and where I need to take up more space and where I need to step back and, am I asking for permission back to consent? Just the internal work of like, what am I doing as a white person or white presenting person or as a colonizer, you know, to unlearn that is something I think to be thoughtful about around this holiday and to have conversations about around this holiday.
0: Yes. That's so important. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about, Children and the way that colonizer culture seeps into childhood is this idea of what winning means <laughs> um, mm. and how everybody wants to win, right? Um, and so, a lot of the social justice materials that we present to kids talk about black people and poor people and native people losing, and so. I try to be really mindful about that, about how information is presented and about how we interact and respond to that. Um, My history doesn't start with slavery. My history doesn't start with colonialism. Mm -hmm. My history doesn't start with the Trail of Tears. My history doesn't start with the Middle Passage, right? Mm -hmm. Like We have to really put it in a a broader historical perspective, first of all, so that we understand that um, there are people who have done this and that they thought they were winning but what they did was damage all of the relationships and people that they came into contact with mm-hmm. and that we don't call that winning anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what we call winning is when you have relationships with people that honor them and honor yourself mm-hmm. and start to, that that, if that's where it starts from, then we as adults also have to think about like, am I perpetuating colonizer culture by, um, the way that I'm making things competitive, by the mm-hmm. way that I'm um, basing things on one person gets an award mm-hmm. and gets to win and everyone else has to just suck it up, right? Yeah. Like what are what are our attitudes about that? And it doesn't mean we have to change everything at once. I think sometimes we are right. really quick to change things without having a a deep understanding of our own ancestry and participation in colonialism. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really notice, right? And that's so much of the practice of like, working with kids is not assuming that they're going to perpetuate that culture or assuming that they are perpetuating that culture but really noticing with them and inviting them to notice what it feels like to share like really share not like i'm going to take this from you and i'm going to give it to another kid and i'm going to call that sharing Mm -hmm. right but what does it mean to like have abundance Mm -hmm. in your spirit in your life in your toys, in your whatever it is, right? Like, what does it feel like to feel like you have abundance and then share from that place? And what does it feel like to notice that it no longer feels like abundance for anyone when someone is cut off from that abundance? Mm. And how do we, you know, one of the ways that white folks become complicit in white supremacy is that they get the carrot, right? and I was organizing with some native Hawaiians and they're talking about how uh, colonialism stole paradise and made it into slavery for Hawaiians and carrots for white people so that they could bear the stick all year round or a whole lifetime, right? You, you spend your whole life saving oh. or imagining a trip to Hawaii or yes. maybe the year you get to go, but then you have to be in this grind every other day of the year so that you can get that peace that comes, that came, that before po- colonialism mm-hmm. belongs to all the people, mm-hmm. right? And so how do we shift our mentality so that we're not like punishing ourselves and trying to work toward uh, like a break that looks like paradise, mm-hmm. but like just slowing down and like, and looking at how can we right now have that feeling of love and abundance in our lives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, when you present it that way to kids, oh. Oh, they hear it. Mm-hmm. They really, really hear it, and they're like, "What can we do?" Mm-hmm. You know, our kids. We put out a big tray of snacks mm-hmm. at snack time, mm-hmm. and our kids, no matter how hungry they are, they might grab. You know, we always put more and more. That's part of the the, the teaching that we do, the abundance teaching that we do. That there's plenty of food, even if there isn't, right? That, that we're trying to give them the experience in their bodies. That there is plenty of food, right? So, mm-hmm. we, we have a lot of like partnerships and do a lot of fresh fruit mm-hmm. and give uh, and use organic produce and use things that really make the body feel like it's being filled so that the kids really are able to be conscious and conscientious of making sure that everyone gets to share in that bounty.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And that that is really about that's really what winning is yep. that we all get this mm-hmm. together.
4: And touch- this is gorgeous. Yeah. Like touching on that, something that I've talked to Ira a lot about and learned from Ira is like experiencing power in our bodies and mm. what that looks like when we're using our power to uplift the people around us and to include everyone around us versus when we're using our power to put somebody down or exclude somebody, or feel better than somebody. Right, power
0: with rather than power over.
4: Yeah, and what that feels like, you know, and what that feels like short-term, and what that feels like long-term, you know, and really talking to our kids about, like, examining what that power feels like. Um, And, I mean, kids are so, (laughs) kids are so beautiful. (laughs) I think, like, it's really easy in... School and in life, when you're growing, you know to um, get a feel of that power from being like quotes mean, you know, or putting and and then it's really easy to see the fear that comes with that, you know, mm. and everything that's that the price that that power is costing.
0: Right, mean girl hazing, or mean yeah. kid hazing. Yeah, yeah,
4: and then really looking. I'm being overflowed with power. I know I'm enough. I know I'm good enough. I know I'm not too much. I know that I'm creative. I know because I'm being fed these ideas, right? Because my parents believe these ideas. My community believes these ideas about me, that I am strong and beautiful and powerful. And
0: I know how to do things. I know how to climb. I know how to jump. I know how to run. Or if I can't do those things, I know what I can do, right? We have kids who can't climb right, because we have kids of all abilities, and to know, like, I'm really strong um, with my voice.
4: Exactly, yeah, and, like, because I am overfilled, because, or not overfilled, but because I am so full, and I believe in myself, and I know that I'm capable, I'm able to share that with the people around me, and I think that is, I mean, the, the, at the core, the payoff of, like, doing this work um, is really being able to see like a community being built and nurturing each other because they are being nurtured, because we are being nurtured and we are nurturing each other.
0: Yeah, and I learned so much from Kara about being an integrity to that. Um, I feel like sometimes we set up sort of norms and ideas that are contrary to our beliefs and practices and integrity. And we often end up sort of shifting to the norm rather than shifting to our integrity. And Kara really has a a really consistent example of being in integrity with those ideas and being willing to shift um, norms and relationships and ideas in order to be in integrity rather than shifting integrity in order to be in alignment with those norms.
2: So powerful.
1: It's time for a sponsor break. The best form of self-care is self-love. And that starts with a high-quality sex toy from early to bed, Chicago's feminist sex shop. Since opening in 2001, our friendly and knowledgeable staff has helped all kinds of folks find sex toys to fix their desires. Staffed by people passionate about sex toys and sexual health, Early to Bed is a well-loved staple of the local community that also offers shipping worldwide via our website, earlytobed.com. Early to Bed carries only the best toys for all types of parts, pleasures, and people. For those new to their self-care revolution, we have curated a special first-timers kit has everything you need to start experiencing the pleasure of sex toys. We also think it makes a great gift for your friend or lover that has never tried a vibrator before. For folks looking to add to their already established toy collection, we offer a wide range of awesome vibrators, dildos, sleeves, rings, and kinky gear. We make sure that toys we are selling are not only safe, but that they are of great value. If we can't personally recommend a toy, we don't stock it. So you can trust that the items we carry are worth the price. Because we take sexual health seriously, We also have a stellar collection of body-safe lubricants that won't cause irritation and pelvic floor support items to make sure that your bits are happy. We want you to feel great in your body, so we'll do our best to get you the tool or toy to make that happen. Our staff is specially trained to help you find the perfect toy for your particular need We pride ourselves on working with customers individually and listening to their needs before suggesting items. So you get the toy that you're looking for. We're committed to education, and Early to Bed offers in-store workshops, provides community outreach, and is here to answer your questions about sex toys, bodies, and more come visit ETB's cute Chicago shop at 5044 North Clark Street in Andersonville neighborhood of Chicago. You can also shop anytime at earlytobed.com. Use the promo code SOAP in all caps 19. That's S O A P 19 when checking out online for 10% off your next order. Back to our show. Let's talk a little bit about gender. Uh, what are some ways that both of you have found to support your own children's gender identity and exploration and expression and how you hold space for a broad spectrum of gender expression and exploration at Peace Out Loud?
4: Mm-hmm. That's a big I always have to sit with the question for a little bit. I'm like, so
1: many layers to pick apart. No, there really (laughs) are, yes. There are just so many layers.
4: I know everything, I think we've talked about this a lot through through this conversation. Everything at camp, um, everything at Peace Out Loud, I think starts with setting a container. Um, And so we say that a lot, but I think it's the same um, when we're having conversations about gender. Um, at camp, um, it's like we do an opening circle um, and we start our opening circle with our names and our optional pronouns.
0: Right. We do ask the adults to opt in to pronouns. Yes. But the kids can say their pronouns or not.
4: Yeah. And I think that's an, that's an important piece to kind of, um, I've been asking the same thing at my, my child's school you know, is for as many people to, as many cis people to opt in about um, introducing themselves. I almost said identifying, but I think whatever, um, introducing themselves with their pronouns. Because um, it gets real, real uncomfortable when I'm the only person in the room being like, hi, hey, I'm Kara, my pronouns are they, them. This is my kid, their pronouns are they, them. And then everyone like stares, right? <laughs> um, so I think um, just like gently <laughs> sometimes asking um, the cis people in the room or the parents at camp, you know, to offer their pronouns to create a safer space for um, kids even to just start thinking about that. You know, I think back into back into like meeting people where they're at. Um, it's just not assuming that anyone, any child is any, anything. Right. Um, and just approaching gender, approaching expression with curiosity, you know, like, um, how do you see this? Um, and I think for me, moving through the world without assumptions, (laughs) um, is a challenge in itself. Right. But it's, really fun to get to like step back and be like I have no assumptions about who you are or your identity and I get to figure that out and I've certainly tried to do that with my child you know my child is like fiercely femme (laughs) um like lipstick every day with like a pound of glitter. Um, <laughs> it caused a lot of like conversations because I don't know
1: where it, that could have come from.
4: Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it caused a lot of controversy in second grade. A lot of parents were not happy with their kids coming home and being like, Why don't I get to wear makeup? Right?
0: <laughs> oh. Which is yeah. a conversation yeah. in second grade to have. Yeah,
4: and I'm like, because you weren't raised by drag queens. <laughs> <laughs> and my relationship with makeup is completely different than not not right or wrong, just different from your relationship with makeup. And so we get to talk, we get to talk about that because my child also right now is identifying as non-binary and says that they are neither a boy or a girl. And so to be able to talk about the nuances of their identity and like figure out the nuances of that identity is really fun and exciting as we grow together. And I like to approach other kids with the same curiosity, you know?
1: So I'm, I'm just curious because, you know, I, for a long time, Um, My first kiddo used they them and then she her and then he him and and was very fluid with um, their pronouns for a very long time and my youngest um, child primarily uses they them. Mm -hmm. In the world, the broad world out of our queer sphere,
0: Mm even inside sometimes. Even
1: inside, um, you know, it, I feel like it's a, I mean, even this morning, uh, constantly of misgendering using girl using, uh, she, her, um, and constantly reminding what are the things that you do? to try to hold that space for your kiddo um, to be able to state how they identify and who they are.
4: That's yeah, a challenging and exhausting question sometimes. Yeah. Um, It's a lot. I think um, identifiers have helped a lot for my kid. Um, Like we have – ginormous earrings that say they them (laughs) on them that they wear to school or like t-shirts or buttons um that they have to that they have to know that they choose to that they wear um so they don't have to say like they them they them they every time right they can point or they can, I mean, I like to, like, dangle my earrings in people's faces <laughs> when I get misgendered, um, And um, but I think, like, it helps them to sort of, like, it armors them almost mm. with, like, a confidence of, like, I'm already showing you who I am, you know, like, this is how I show up, um, and I think, I'm just gonna say, Aubrey didn't correct themselves or correct other people for a long time. They just weren't there, you know. And we talked about it a lot, you know. And like they were like, "It's okay, it's okay," you know. I'm like, "Okay, well, just just so we're clear, you know, and just so like I will always correct people, and you're not doing anything wrong if you correct somebody, like you." are helping somebody see you. And I mean, I feel like that conversation still happens and Aubrey has just started to correct people. And a lot of that came from the people around them, correcting people. Their really good friend who lives across the street from us now um, has a sister. And the sister is five. So she will she, Aubrey, (laughs) a lot. And every time, every time the, the brother, Aubrey's friend, will just gently correct her. Be like, Aubrey's pronouns are they. Aubrey's a they, <laughs> um, which I think is cute, personally. Um, and I think having people around, you know, um, who will validate them is really important. I think it's helped them be able to validate and stand up for themselves. Um, And just the idea of like, it's not personal. I'm just going to keep correcting you until you get it. And it's not personal and I need you to hear it and not be defensive. Mm. But I'm just going to keep doing it, you know? And that's a lot of labor and a lot lot of education. And that's why I said it can be frustrating and And exhausting. exhausting.
0: And we have to create... I feel like we have to create spaces where that happens not very often. Yes. Right. There have to be places where you sort of get to be the full self that you are and people see you <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. and
0: you have some like recovery and safety in that so that you can be resilient in the world, totally. whatever that looks like. I also want to say like as a Black born two-spirit, Black native born two-spirit, African third gender mm-hmm. um, we have always existed, right? Um, As an anthropologist, I know, we have always existed in every culture around the world. There are always, and I, I am lucky enough that I grew up in a community that had both spoken and unspoken rules about many different gender categories that included men who were born men, women who were born women, um, men who were born women, women who were born men, and two spirits, right? Like, that, that was sort of the gender categories, mm-hmm. and within that, there were a lot of different gender expressions and gender identities, right? Um, and I, you know, I, I joke that most of my masculinity I learned from white, cis women, and most of my femininity I from <laughs> black, black gay men, right? Like, that's just, like, you know, one of the realities for, for me, right? So I have a lot of I've had a lot of room and I think that um, in my adult life, I started feeling more and more closed down and locked into gender identity as a parent uh, who birthed children,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, that my identity w- was very essentialized in the world that I live in. Um, and that some of that is self-defense and some of that is actual, actually a generosity um, from other black people who understand that Black cis women and Black cis men are often misgendered in our society and degendered, gendered and um, that a lot of people in, in Black community at least are trying to give me space mm-hmm. to still be a woman regardless of how masculine or feminine I'm presenting, mm-hmm. right? And so I try to take that spirit Um, You know, Kara and I were out and there were these three beautiful Black elders who were such powerful people, just really held energy and space. And one of them said to us as we walked by, hey, ladies. (laughs) And, uh, And I looked at them and in that moment, I have a choice. I can meet them where they're at. Right. And I said, oh, I always appreciate a compliment, even though I don't identify it as a lady, I'm an African two-spirit, right? Because I know that they understand that, those words. And they understand that, it's, that my identifying as non-binary is not about me colluding with white identity,
3: hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
0: Because there is a, like a, a way that white queerness, is saying, is saying that we lead the conversation about how people are allowed to identify within their queerness.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, they don't necessarily say it that way, but they say like, everyone needs to get on board. And if you don't get on board, it's because you're prejudiced, right? And what I understand is that, like, this is another area where we have to really have an intersectional lens and understand where people are coming from, right? We live in a, in a country where Cis black men have had their penises cut off Mm
3: -hmm.
0: for being seen as coveting, Mm -hmm. right? And so in that context, if you talk about those men have to accept transgender identity, it can often hit things differently than if you invite people to the table from a broader historical lens and reminding people, we've always been here, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that memory is in us, right? Mm -hmm. That beyond colonialism and patriarchy and rape culture, like we all know in our bodies that gender means a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we're willing to sort of explore that and honor people wherever they are, it doesn't mean that it's not frustrating for me sometimes. It doesn't mean that it's not, defeating. Mm -hmm. And I, I need those spaces and Mm -hmm. our kids need those spaces where people are invited, not just allowed, but invited to be whoever they are and where people don't make assumptions about who you are, but really ask you and and are curious about who you are in the world. Um, And I think that that curiosity, like if we can keep that, then we keep the spirit of queerness, right? We keep the spirit of playfulness. We keep the spirit of the tricksters that are in every, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: every culture, um whether it's loki or anansi or um or the coyote or right like the, the that like sort of fun like playfulness that i have in my own gender that mm-hmm. i also in, want to invite other people to play with their gender yeah. whatever that means and whatever that looks like and sometimes i'm too tired to do it and sometimes i'm too angry but, and mm-hmm. sometimes i'm too I'm too frustrated or whatever right but i try to rest enough that i can invite people into that playfulness mm-hmm.
2: I love the idea of kind of wrapping up this conversation with we all for ourselves and for our children need more spaces where um, we can all exist and play without assumptions. Mm. Thank you so much for that. We ask all of our guests at the very end um, really quickly, what is your current rose and thorn, your joy and challenge? either in your parenting or in your work with kids?
4: We do that at camp.
1: (laughs) I do that every night with the kids.
4: (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, What would you like to, me? Okay. My rose. Aubrey, I don't know if this is too personal.
0: Mm. Oh my God.
4: I didn't think about this in my...
0: Did you ask for consent to talk about Aubrey
4: said I could talk about that. Oh, good. Aubrey said I could talk about that. This is like, I don't, I want to talk about this so bad. I'm not sure I know how. So Aubrey and I have been talking about um, bodies, our bodies and their body. Um, and the other day, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to go for it. That's so um, there was like a little bit of red. It turned out to be paint in their underwear. Um, I wasn't sure what it was, but they, the first thing they asked me, they said, "Mappa, am I growing up? Because they thought it was blood. Oh. Um, and they were not scared. They were excited and like curious. Right. And that, like, I can't even tell you, I can't even tell you how, like full of joy that made me feel, um, my relationship with my period has been like tumultuous at best. (laughs) Um, and the, the, the journey for me was, was challenging. And so to hear like just the excitement or the joy and the ability to talk about that, and like, no, that's not going to happen just yet. There's a uh, there's more things that you're going to go through before that happens, um, but and the like, thank you for feeling like safe enough with yourself and with me to be able to like initiate that conversation was so powerful to me, and it made me feel oftentimes. I wonder if I'm doing the right thing as a parent, right? And oftentimes I'm like, am I serving my child? Am I doing the best? At that moment, I was like, hell yes. Like, I am doing a good job as a parent. Um, and so that—that <laughs> that is my rose that happened this week. Challenges, um, my thorn. We, I mean, I'm going through a lot of shifts in in my personal life and relationships. Um, I am a non-monogamous parent, um, and a lot of my relationships are shifting and I'm moving out of my current place. And so I would say overall, that's been a challenge. There's a lot of roses in that and a lot of thorns in that overall. Um, there's been a lot of hard conversations with Aubrey and I think that's, um, more than a thorn, that's a challenge. And really figuring out if there's a roadmap to talk about Mm -hmm. non-monogamous shifting relationships and what that looks like to a child and um, making sure that even though they feel like they don't have a choice in me moving somewhere else, that they have as much autonomy and as much choice as they can and they understand why they don't have a choice um, in this moving process. Mm. It's real
2: Goodness me. I just had the same thing.
4: <laughs>
2: same story. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Still wishing in it kind of.
4: Well. I wishing you well. <laughs> Thank you.
2: You too. I don't think we really have much of a map so we we have to have to make it and then help other people through it.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, I think that is often Kara's story that they <laughs> And what a gift <laughs> to the rest of us that they often do make a map.
1: And Ira, do you have a rose and a thorn?
0: Yeah, and um, I just wanted, we, we often use that at camp and we do roses, thorns, and buds. Would it be okay mm, if I did that?
1: Yes, sure, yeah, I love, I love the bud. Mm-hmm. But, um, I
4: see a Where lot I'm of buds at, at the thorn. end of this. I'm just gonna say that. There's like yeah. so many things I'm looking forward through, look forward through, forward to, after going through. <laughs>
0: yeah. roses thorns buds one of my biggest roses right now is noticing all the ways that the ideals that i held that i didn't know how to get to have held in some of the changes and processes that we've been in um and the ways that i've been able to um really be in it with my kids when there's circumstances that I don't agree with or want or I don't have any control of, that I've been able to, despite all of that, to really be present with my kids and see them and support them in that. And so that feels really like a rose right now, is being able to see that my parenting is, while not perfect, it's really in alignment with what I want to do. Um, And that's based on some of the training that I had as a child, and also a lot of the work that I've done as an adult. Um, But I think of, uh, I don't know if you know Khalil Gibran's poem, On Children. It's, uh, your children are not your children they are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself they travel through you but they are not of you and though they are with you they belong not to you and just like really being Mm -hmm. in that right now (laughs) as my kids are in middle school and making choices that i don't agree with and like How can I be with you in
3: this?
0: (laughs) So, um, and then I think a big thorn is like, as a parent, looking at all of the way, all of the things that I can't control, all the people that I can't control, all of the ways that I can't control the world and I can't control what my kids have to experience or get through. Right. That I'm like, Oh, there's a lot that's Mm -hmm. overwhelming in the world right now that I can't. have very little control over. Um, and having to really get still and careful and close and knowing what I have control over and what I don't. I know that we live in a society that says, oh, you're, you're, you shouldn't be controlling. But what I am what clear about is that um, there are areas, things that I'm supposed to control and there are areas that uh, I'm not supposed to. Um, and if I'm not doing it, somebody else is,
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> Not and
0: matters. I wanna know who's doing it, if I, right? So just to have a very limp, an understanding that some of my control is very limited right now and how to navigate in that is a big thorn. Um, and one of the buds that I'm looking forward to, um, we have some things that we've been doing to address some of these things we can't control, um, having to do with building our cohorts um, so that we are um, really supporting the kids and families in our communities as they go through all of these challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you all, but I am an expert at 11 year olds, <laughs> um, but my kids are 12. And then next, right. when they're 13, I'll be an expert on 12 year olds mm-hmm. and completely clueless about 13 year olds. So I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, the parenting, learning curve right Um, so like really um being able to share the knowledge with other parents who who have all the questions that I had all of the all along the way and Mm -hmm. with and to get uh advice and comfort and support from parents who have um already been where I'm at Mm -hmm. and like developing the cohorts is really about building that Um, community resilience and having spaces, creating those spaces, where even if we can't control everything, that we have some place that we consider like, oh, we are all on board. We all believe in body positivity. We all see gender. We all see color. (laughs) (laughs) So so we have these cohorts. And then I'm also looking forward to our Mm -hmm. second annual Drag,
4: Mm -hmm. drag Drag wheels fundraiser, drag wheels,
0: (laughs) wheels. (laughs) Um, which is a a really great thing that happens, um, that that we've been doing, and um, helps to really bring some of that playfulness into Mm -hmm. the conversation, into a community conversation about how um, being trans and being and doing drag are not the same thing, Mm -hmm. and that they have relationship, and that you can play with a lot of things in that and have a lot of conversations in ways that really sink in for people
4: mm-hmm.
0: in, a, in a way that lives um, all year long as they're sort of looking forward to the next experience. Yep.
4: One of the kids was just talking about the drag friend Durichler at Aubrey School this morning. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it.
2: And for people who are in the Bay Area, will that information be coming out on your website?
0: Probably. Definitely on our Facebook page. So yeah. okay,
4: and Instagram. Yeah, we're peace right. out, at Peace Out Loud on Instagram.
2: At Peace Out Loud on Instagram is the best way to find out what's going on with Peace Out Loud. And and Peace, out-, and and peace out
4: Loud on Facebook.
2: Okay, Peace Out Loud on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation.
1: Yeah,
0: and um, there's just one little
1: thing. Just yeah. Thank you so much for for being in this conversation with us and for all of the incredibly important work that both of you are doing. Thank you. Aww, thank you. Thank, thank you. you both.
4: And absolutely the same. Thank you for doing And that
2: thank you, you for singing on our podcast. Oh,
1: what a treat.
2: You've been listening to Wash Your Mouth Out Podcast. You can find us on the web at washyourmouthoutpodcast.com. Come follow us on Instagram at washyourmouthoutpodcast. And on Twitter, at Mouthout Podcast. If you love this podcast, we need your help. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month, or for more, get some cool prizes from us. Please go Wash and check out our Patreon at patreon.com/slash. Wash your mouth out.
1: Wash your mouth thank you. out.